it's long been said that, oh, well, hip hop, quote, glorifies drug dealing, gang banging, violence. You just referred to lines that talk about that situation. If you really listen to a lot of this, there's great nuance and pain in the choices people make. Biggie wasn't telling us, in my, this is my interpretation from listening, Biggie wasn't telling us, let me glorify this, this is great, I chose this. He was telling us, these are the limited choices available in this community. So, what I'm good with is names, right? Nobody can front. El Boogie, who put the boogie in that? Me, like, it's facts. Jerry Wonder, Wonder, he does the wonders with beats, it's me. Um, so, real quick, remember what I told y'all, I told y'all y'all at my house, and so, there's like some drilling going on in the back, and I sent the manager to, Take two. Mark? I'm looking back and I was like the person who would give everybody their swag name. L Buggy, she bought the Buggy. Jerry Wanda. And at times we hear about this place called the Booger Basement. Like, yo, and all of these records, John Forte, grab the Michael. What's the Booger Basement? So the Booger Basement was our recording studio in East Orange, New Jersey. And it was um, my uncle, Jerry's father, and Rennell Duplass's father, those two brothers, my cousins. And we literally was in a basement. So what do Steve Jobs and the Fujis have in common? They was working out of their garage, and we was working out of our basement. And in the basement, we formed the booger. And people would be like, yo, why is it called a booger basement? You know, boogers is nasty. And what we was doing coming out of the basement was nasty. It was just so funky. In the early days, it was very interesting. So I always call myself like the Haitian Dr. Dre of my hood, like in the early days, like when I was watching N.W.A., I was like, I'm going to be like this guy. And the idea of like, what does that mean I'm going to be like this guy was more like, you know, I noticed like in my community, you had a lot of guys that were trapping, but they were rapping. And at the end of the day, everyone was trying to get an out. Like no one wanted to go to jail. So I figured like what I formed would be a safe haven. You know, you come to the booger basement, you know, we got Lauren, she'll sing a hook for you. You know, I had a complete entrepreneur spirit, you know what I mean? So after you're done recording, I would literally give you what's called a DAT. And a DAT is like a digital form of a cassette. And this DAT would be like now what you go... So if you go to a record company, nine times out of ten, they had these DAT machines where you can play the demo that you did. So um, being like... I, I knew, like, I was more of a nerd, so I always had an advantage of how to sell gear. And because the thing about being an entrepreneur, I was not just going to sell you on... You have to pay for every part of the session was what I learned at an early age. So I would have to sell you time. So any kids that want to get into, like, a cool studio, 
and see how the business works. First thing is you're selling time and space. Can you imagine this hustle? You're literally selling time and space. Something you can't see, but you're making people pay for it. Um, so, so you come in from the block. I said, okay, you got to pay for the time and space. Second thing that I had was a big tape machine where I recorded everybody on. This tape machine was called a 456 Ampex Reel. 456 Ampex Reel. Sound like a bar. Big ass tape machine. And one track would be used for Simpty. What is Simpty, Clef? You losing us. Simpty was like, it was a code where it'd be like... It would be like the 24th track. And that's the track that you wanted to stay away from. So if you was bouncing vocals, you wanted to stay between 1 to 20. You ain't want to get into that 24 track. Best way to explain it is Bohemian Rhapsody. When... Anybody seen Bohemian Rhapsody? And you see how Queen would keep layering those vocals on top of vocals. Then you got to bounce those vocals and start again. So I was charging you for this big-ass tape machine. So you literally was paying me for that. You was paying me for the dot. You was paying me for the time. So that means that by the end of the session, um, I'm getting a couple of hundred dollars from you. So... One kid that I didn't think he was as savvy as I was when it came to the tech part of it, um, great spitter. You know, I don't want to say his name because he was in the trap. And I'm like one of them rappers that be like announcing like, let me drop a bar and then dude be like, yo, did I just hear my name? But he was a tech head too, I didn't know. So after his session, you know, he get what we call the invoice. And then, so he paid me. And then when he paid me, days later, dude came back and he was like, well, there's an item missing from my invoice. And I'm like, well, what, what the hell is missing, man? He's like, my tape, my, my tape. Like, where is my tape? And I'm like, I gave you your tape, man. You have the dat, the digital dat. That's all you need when you go to Tommy Boy. They're going to think that you a professional. Like, you don't be wanting to walk in there with no big-ass tape machine. And he's like, well, why did I have to pay for the tape if I can't have it? I said, well, where the hell is the recording going to come from? Where you want me to record you on? I can't record you on the dat. I could bounce. He says, but you charge me for the tape machine. You charge me for that tape. I need my 456, that piece of big-ass tape machine. You charge me for it. So we go back and forth, and I notice that he has caught on to the hustle. And, and look, at the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur. So I couldn't give him back that big-ass tape. Do y'all know why? Because after he left, I erased his vocals from that big tape, gave him the dat, and then I put somebody else's vocals on his big tape. So if I gave him the tape, oh, this guy will kill me because he'll hear somebody else's vocal. So one thing about me, I guess there's a side of me that believes in peace treaty like Jimmy Carter. So I was like, okay, I got to find the middle here. So 
The middle would be I would do four more tracks for him for free, um, being that I couldn't retrieve his tape. And so what was great about having like Lauren in the basement at a young age, she was the one that was singing all the hooks, you know what I'm saying to you? So um, what was amazing when I look back at the Booger basement was the opportunity factor. The fact that we was in a hood, but there was a safe haven that kids feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like we could come here and maybe put a couple hundred dollars and then later we can actually have a piece of demo that we can go shop in New York. So to me, um, that's one of the most exciting things about having and envisioning a place like the Booger Basement. So the Booger Basement for us, I would say, was literally like our first record company, you would say. So, um, so we'll definitely have more stories about the Booger Basement, um, about the outsiders, about Akon, Erica Badu, different people. At one time or another, names has surfaced through the basement or has physically come inside of the basement way before they blew up. So, um, so let's just start this episode and let's get into that, run that back. Okay, y'all already know I'm so excited because I have a nickname for you, man, MCA. <laughs> Ari, see, I came barred ready for you. I love it. Um, thank you so much, man. Absolutely, I'm thrilled to, to be with you. I have said this publicly, so it's not just on your show, I've said it before. <laughs> when they uh -huh. asked me what, what album first got you into hip hop, I talk about the score, your, you know, the, your second album with the Fugees, which hit when I was starting high yeah. school and it was just on fire, yeah. like it was all over the world. Uh, and I kept up yeah. with you since then. I mean, I love, I love a lot of what you do and I have to tell you, uh, Hendrix, which is a great song, um, has that shout out to Jimi Hendrix and I, I went to his high school in Seattle, yeah. so love. Wow. Okay, that's amazing, man. Um, so, dude, I'm a fan of yours. That's wild. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you a little bit about me. I'm gonna trip you out. So, I was born in Haiti, right? And the thing about the Caribbean, it's a, a regular thing, like if anyone's tuned in, when you get the chance to come to America, right? The American dream, um, you get here, I got here at the age of 10 years old, and your parents have three things you're gonna be. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Like these are the three things on the list. So the idea of me telling my pops when he was like, yo, what are you gonna be? And I'm like, a rapper? He's like, rapper? What is a rapper? That is drug dealer music, that is bomb music. And I said, no, nah, dad, I'm gonna be a rapper. So the and I have two other brothers. They both um, were from Newark, New Jersey. And they were the number one debaters in, 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 in Newark. And what's interesting about that is uh, my other younger brother went on to being a lawyer. His name is Samuel Jean. And, uh, and then my other brother, he's into music. 
But in high school, I got a chance to see these guys debate, my two brothers. They were vicious. And they sort of like, because my father was a minister, so we all had the comfortability of just the congregation and just, the, you know, we didn't catch butterflies when it was time to talk. But the reason uh, that I find you insanely interesting beyond the fact that you got hip hop rap bars is it just seems like to me like your ability to find a bipartisan front, you know, and you're not scared of debate. You mm. know what I mean? Because you know like debate has to be part of it, right? Because at the end of the day, one thing I learned about America when I came here and and then I always say Haiti is within the Americas geographically when you look at it. And one thing that I would say is if we ever lose our sense of debate, then we're fucked, right? And I didn't say lose our sense of hate because if you come into me and you preaching hate, I don't need to hear that. But the idea of policy, the idea of legislation, you know, what's good for this side, what's good for that side, is sort of like why I am a fan of yours because in my family, I have Democrats and I have Republicans. And the debates get pretty vicious, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so I just wanted to start off by saying your gift of language and your ability for journalism, um, because, so I, as a kid, I'm in front of the mirror, man, and I'm playing air guitar, I'm at Madison Square Garden. What was the start like for you? Like, what was your start like? Take me back to you as the little you, you know what mm. I'm saying? Yeah. Well, first of all, that's of such a kind uh, set of things you said, so thank you for that. It does trip me out, to be real, like, uh, there's different things in a moment in career, in your career where you have a reset or you're like, whoa. Um, for example, personally, like the first time I was invited to the White House, which was during the Obama presidency, uh, and my father's an immigrant, you know, and I took him, and he was like, this means a lot. We came here and you're doing work that gets you there. You're like, whoa. And I have another one right now, because like I said, growing up as a kid on Wyclef, just hearing you say that is, uh -huh. is crazy. So thank you. I think. I think in terms of, to try to get to it, I, I think I grew up in an environment where my parents were both very learned and that was automatic. So it was not like reading or learning about the world or being internationally aware, or as you say, discussing policy, engaging ideas, steel sharp and steel, debating ideas. All of that was the baseline. That was automatic. And it was only probably only later in my life that I realized that, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up in that intellectual environment because that itself is a testament to them, uh, how they chose to raise us, that we were spending time together, that my parents were always, they both worked full-time jobs, but they were also full-time about raising us uh, and pushing us. Uh, and so I, that really was, I think, the jump. And then in school, I definitely grew up around people, like I went to a big public high school, like I mentioned, Garfield High School, uh, where Jimi Hendrix and Quincy Jones and other people went that was had a great legacy, but it was like people were debating, debating politics, music, civil rights, policing, race. That was all part of it. So you get more comfortable in whatever you're used to. And I would just say I was very fortunate to be around that because then you, you, you come up with that DNA. 
So yeah, if you're in a setting where it's political or whatnot, or you're, yes, a million people watching live, but you're able to just say, well, let's get to the heart of it, let's debate it, and let's also try, within reason, to be respectful. So we have a lot of people on the news program, The Beat, from different views, respect who they are, maybe debate or disagree with their views. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay, super. Um, so you have a lot of famous debates online. You do know that, right? How so? <laughs> famous how? Like the guests that you bring on to debate back and forth, right? So I watched the Candace debate, which was a very interesting debate, right? So for me, remember, this I'm used to because like I said, in my back porch, like this is what goes down. Like it's always both sides of the, the spectrum going at it. Um, but what, what I appreciated about you is the fact that I'm gonna keep it real with you. We have elections coming up and a lot of people fear to come and speak, right? Because at the end of the day, they feel like maybe we'll say the wrong thing and now fuck this up. But you are so comfortable in the sense that I think as we move towards the future, the idea is how to come up with some form of bipartisan, right? Because literally I'm even watching it where I'm at um, with conversations you know, on, uh, on the family. I guess the last craziest debate for me in, uh, in my backyard was Dr. Fauci, you know what I mean? That was a very interesting one because, um, you know, um, like Fauci's point of views and how we debate science and how we see things and how we see health, you know what I mean, moving forward. So for me, we basically um, respected the quarantine, like me and my wife, we literally been in the house. You know, my daughter, even when she had to go back to boarding school, we all had to get tested. You know, we had to wear our mask, you know what I mean? Um, at the end of the day, and we did that not for us though, but we did that because at the end of the day, my wife had lost her uncle and mm. we, uh, my, my, uh, my drummer, he lost like his mother and then two days later, he lost his father, one of my drummers. So we, we yeah. saw what this thing was doing, like it was moving vicious, like real time. Yeah. So um, as we move towards the future, in your opinion, and with all of the information that you constantly get, um, where do you see us like a year from now? Um, are things gonna get back to normal? How are you seeing us like moving forward? I mean, that's a, the big question on people's minds. I don't know, I'm not a doctor. We, as you say, I consult with a lot of the experts and we get to learn from them. I think this is going to take the world much longer than people initially hoped uh, and would want. And I think even if what we're learning about the scale of this is that even if uh, there is a decent vaccine that emerges, and that would be a good thing as long as it's tested safely and could be distributed, the amount of time that it's likely to take, particularly in big countries like the United States and Europe or Brazil or China, big places, it's gonna take longer even after that vaccine is available and deployed to really get back to a level where healthcare workers and seniors and others are not at a significant risk. So pick a month where you hope the vaccine is available. Could be April, could be July. It's gonna be many more months after that before you get to any, any of the saturation that the experts talk about that you'd need to really feel 
safe if you're an at-risk person going in. Now, if you're a young person, as you just alluded to, Wycliffe, the biggest risk is what you pose to others, and you want to be mindful of that. But if you're a senior or you have other underlying conditions, you're really at risk of COVID having severe or deadly impact. If there's a vaccine and say, I'm making this up, say 40% of people are starting to use it, that's not good enough for a 70-year-old to go out and be quote-unquote back to normal or back to 2019 or whatever you want to call it. So I think we're, you know, we haven't lived through anything like this since 1918. It's a huge body blow. It's been a huge health and economic uh, catastrophe, obviously. And yet, you still have to go forward and say, how do you adapt to this? And to me, and we try to give people in the news, watch the news in a sense of this, adapt doesn't mean, well, someday it'll be like 2019 again. It ain't gonna be like 2019 for a while. Adapt means Facts. follow the science and maybe 2021 won't feel as bad and won't hopefully involve as much health risk. But it's not going to be 2019. 2021, 2022 are going to be going back towards something else. And I think about that a lot in life because so often when people run into something they don't like, whether that's your personal life or big picture because you don't like who was elected, there's this notion of going back. And we all do it. Even you know, people who are progressive sometimes say, well, we're all about the people who are progressive talk about being about the future. But there's this instinct you want to go back. But we know, everybody really knows if you think about it, you can't go back. You can't go back to when you were 10 years younger. You can't go back to last year. Uh, you can't go back to before something changed. And so it's really about what's ahead. And I think that's managing the risk, being safe, getting people back out and living. I don't think you could pause all life for years on end um, and hopefully then eventually having medical solutions that, that curb the risk as well. Um, definitely, man. I definitely needed like your insight, you know what I mean? Which was like very intuitive. And I think we definitely needed to hear that. Um, I'm looking at you and one of the issues um, that we face. So for example, my uncle, his name is Raymond Joseph and he was the ambassador for Haiti to the US and he always taught us like to look at politics from like a worldwide lens and never just a lens of saying, I live here, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. so I guess that's how I did my music. Like the score, when you heard the score, I was in the hood in New Jersey, in the Booga basement, and I'm a kid and I'm listening to Enya. Enya is in some castle out in Europe, right? So when you hear the on ready or not, da na 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 da na 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 na, that's an incredible singer out of Europe. I've never heard of her, right? But I used to go to the vinyl store, and I used to call the vinyl store the United Nations because the vinyl store literally there was no separation. Like you'd be like, yo, what's you know, what's popping out of Brazil? Like, can I get that? Yo, what's, is there any samples I could pull from Shanghai? Let me grab that, you know? So I think that, I say that because <clears throat> there's a debate about celebrities getting into politics, right? And the idea of like, be 
careful before speaking until you know what you're saying, which is very important, right? Um, and you, but at the end of the day, every individual is entitled to their own opinion because that's what makes us humans, you know what I mean? Um, at the same time. But I say that because I saw you take hip hop lyrics and break down some of the most coolest rap songs, right? And the way that you broke it down is, I feel like when people be like, yo, describe the score, I'd be like, yo, the score is like policy music if you really get really deep into it. Like you can see things we agree with, things we don't agree with. Um, you can see our sides. You sort of like do that where you take some of what's happening in hip hop and you show like the cultural relevancy to like the floor, for example. You know what I'm saying? I saw you do that with a Kendrick Lamar and different things. So out of all of these policy raps that you break down, if you was to just like to pick one that you would say, yo, this really like sticks to me um, in the sense of like modern time and forward thinking and where are we going, you know, it's a lot, but is, is there, and, and I'm saying that because I watched it, you know what I mean? It was amazing. Is there any artist in particular or a certain mm. bar that you would give us and say, you know, hold on to this right here? I mean, that's a hard one. I'll give you a couple. I appreciate the question. I mean, first of all. Okay, bar up. You know what? Let's do this. <laughs> you start off with your raps, bar up, and then I'm going to go policy back and forth. Okay, we'll go, go back and forth a little. Well, I'll start just with... When COVID first broke, you know, on the news, I was quoting off the score, everybody wears the mask, but how long will it last? <laughs> uh, because uh -huh. all, we're all of a sudden talking about masks. And there's a reason why people were actually uncomfortable with masks that goes deeper than even the mm -hmm. politics or whatever you think of the president. Historically, we associate the physical mask with hiding something, with outlaws. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we although it ranges by culture, because some religions, of course, have different head coverings, but in general, in the West, we think of a mask as holding something back. What are you hiding? And then I quoted your song with Praz and Lauren because you use the mask not only physically, robbers wear the mask when they're doing crime and you have that street element, but then you talk about the metaphorical mask the mask we wear in different situations. And there's so much there. So that's just one set of bars that starts with something that anyone can understand, right? You wanna connect with people in the, in the work that I do, I'm not trying to be quote unquote smarter or more informed than anyone else. Don't nobody care whether I know this or that. The only thing I can offer is can I help you be informed, you be smart. And so the mask is a way people, I know about that, and then we go deeper. So that's one example. I'll give you one more, and then you come back with yours. You know, I look back at uh, most Def's album, Black on Both Sides, and you could listen uh -huh. to that the year it came out, or you could listen to it this year, and it would teach you about the justice system, police, racism, Brooklyn. I know you went from Haiti to Brooklyn. And it's relevant then as now because it's at a higher altitude of truth. And some people don't hear that because they hear the swear word or they only don't really listen to the lyrics, but it's all in there if you listen. No, that's, that's dope. I, I really needed you to go there. You know what I mean? Um, 
I just, I always say like, there's something about the way how some of us get our information as quote unquote, you know, poetry, right? And I think for me, it was, I remember constantly, like in school, when they taught me about black history, for example, but I'm from Haiti. So I always was like, yo, how come they not talking about 1804, the first black republic? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, how come they not talking about two cent loverture, right? Because this was sort of like something I was interested in. And then when I would be going down the street on the Ave, you know, the OG be like, yo, peace, God, you know? Do you know who Napoleon is? You know, Napoleon had, you know, the Haitian people under siege, you know? Do you, have you ever heard of Bukman? And I get a little book of the Haitian Revolution, you know? Um, then I'd be passing on the block again, do you like, yo, man, you ever read the Torah, man? Do you know what that is? Then another dude be like, yo, you checked out the Egyptian Book of the Dead? And so for me, um, when I listen to Nas, Illmatic, so much poetry on that. I'm, I, I'm always like, yo, them same guys that was on the block with me, them same teachers that kept giving me the books, I was like, they must have been the same ones that was giving Nas the books, you know what I mean? Mm. And for me, the reason why I really appreciate you doing this is because authors express themselves in different ways, right? So I remember Reasonable Doubt coming out in 96, you know what I mean? Um, we had the Fuji's, the score. And I remember the Fuji's opening up for Biggie Smalls, right? And what was funny to me was a reporter was like, yo, how do y'all think this album is gonna be do compared to, you know, the, the are y'all gonna be able to survive this climate because we're in an era where, you know, it's like, you know, Jay is saying it a certain way, Biggie is saying it a certain way, Pac is saying it a certain way, like, are y'all, how y'all gonna be able to, because y'all, and I was like, I'm looking at them and I'm like, but we all are authors in our own way, right? And what that means is, if you come from Marcy Projects and I come from the hut in Haiti and we both are little kids, like one or two, and you find both of us and you put us in the same place, the ideology of how we think of kids is still gonna be similar, right? Mm. Language changes based on what we see. So you, you might have a, a direct way to be like, yo man, I got this eight ball in my hand. You know what I mean? And my man's, he walking with the burner, right? Because your expression, that's how you want to paint the picture, right? Then I could come back and be like, well, you know, now that I escaped, sleepwalkers awake, you know, those who could relate know the world ain't cake. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break when they meet their 400 pound mate, you know? If I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun. And the ghetto, of course, when giddy up and on their horse. Then you said, yo, hold up. So think about the robbery that I did last week. That, yeah, right. You so you peeped that. So and Biggie goes, "Who the fuck is this?" Paging me at five forty-six in the morning, crack of dawning. So you can't be like, "Oh, because you're from the ghetto." 
or you from the projects, you have to say it a certain way. So I appreciated how you broke it down to say at the end of the day, there is a, a real intellectual twist in the sense of a lot of us that do get this information and how we pass it off. You know what I'm saying yeah. to you? So, well, let me let me tell you, you one more thing. You tell me your, you know, your time being there playing alongside Biggie, and it also turns the music and the artistry turns on whether we listen to people's experiences. And I think people in general like to think of themselves as open-minded and listening. But the truth is, if we if we hold ourselves accountable, sometimes we listen more to this than that. Sometimes we defer to the powerful because we're raised to do that. Or we pay attention and we glorify beauty because we're people and we notice what is beautiful or what is what we're told and socialized is beautiful. But there's so much more to it. So in the United States, the experience with hip hop and I think a lot of black music writ large, although hip hop, of course, has many, many varieties, but has been that the establishment sometimes doesn't really listen. And then it has a, a caricature of the art that isn't true. For example, it's long been said that, oh, well, hip hop, quote, glorifies drug dealing, gang banging, violence. You just referred to lines that talk about that situation. If you really listen to a lot of this, although you could argue some stuff somewhere glorifies, just like some mafia movies make the guy out to be a tough guy. But a lot of mafia movies, the good ones, if you watch them to the end, Scarface, The Godfather, there's great nuance and pain in the choices people make. Biggie wasn't telling us, in my, this is my interpretation from listening, Biggie wasn't telling us, let me glorify this, this is great, I chose this. He was telling us, these are the limited choices available in this community, as you just said, whether that's Bed-Stuy or Haiti. And then the links between, say, just since we're talking about Biggie and Wyclef, and since you're here, right, Biggie says, uh, either you got, either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. He's talking about the very limited ways out of that community. I don't read that as him saying the only thing he ever wanted to do was, was ball or bang or in his case rap, but those were the options. Here you have Wyclef on the score you talk about it, but then on Hendrix, you know, when you say the devil pulled a card and said, choose one, I choose music, my homies choose chose one. yay. Some of the ballers chose the NBA. There you are talking about those same limited option sets that Biggie was talking about that so many people are talking about because, oh, art turns back to common truths. So if I listen to that and go, oh, right, and in some ways things are better, you could argue. In other ways, things are way too similar to the way they were 20, 40, 60 years ago when you look at some of the problems around the world. I'm not just talking in the US when we look at poverty and racism and the limited choices afforded people and communities. So the art is telling us that. And sometimes the art is hitting that truth way, way more relatable, way more real than some other conversation. But as I said, at a distance, someone might go, oh, Biggie and Wyclef talking about this and that again. And you go, no, really listen. We're being told about the options and the choices. And in, in both yours and Biggie's case, you're talking about being talented enough and recognized through capitalism and audience that that allowed you to transcend. And yet you're both, again, tell me if, what you think, but I read it as you're both honoring and relating the stories of other people who didn't have maybe the same 
option you had. So they're back there with just, instead of the devil's three or two, they have one choice. I mean, that's definitely amazing. You just gave me a flashback, right? So my father, which I always talk about in this show, I always talk to my dad, a Christian minister of Christian faith. He was part of like the Nazarene um, jurisdiction of the church. And within the Nazarenes, um, we had different missionaries come from Kansas City, from different parts. And one thing that people really get surprised about is how much I know about country music. Now, I think that in watching how you break hip hop down, like you might know more about hip hop than me, than I might think, but it's so funny when you saying the Biggie, the flashback I had was Wyclef Jean at the Johnny Cash tribute, right? So I get a call from Rick Rubin and they're like, look, um, we got the Johnny Cash tribute. And of course, Rick Rubin, he knows like I'm in tuned. So, and what does that mean is, you know, as a musician, I never look at it like, so for me, I could take the score and I put it against like Joshua Tree. So when me and Bono get together and we talking, it's the same struggle. Like what he was going through in his country and how he was trying to explain and overcome was the same thing that we was doing. And so I'm at the Johnny Cash tribute and I'll never forget this and people should look this up. And I remember like, they're like, yo, coming up is, you know, Wyclef Jean. Um, and I just saw that, remember the shock on the people's faces, right? Because I'm doing like, you know, Caribbean, Caribbean, I'm a Caribbean cowboy, you know what I'm saying? So I got my little country hat on and I go into a Johnny Cash song and I'm not going into no famous Johnny Cash song. Like I go into a song uh, called Delia's Gone. And I only say that because of my father being a missionary and that part, there's something about country music that somehow always played the background um, of the house at times. And I only say Johnny Cash, Men in Black, is because when you take some of the lyrics of country music and some of the, the guys that was like, yo, we're not gonna back down, and you take some of the music of N.W.A. and you are to put these two things against each other, all the way from like prison reform to police brutality to different situations, you're gonna be like, as musicians, whether if it's coming from a country point of view, a blues point of view, a rock, a hip hop, there are just people within the cult, Bob Marley, that just will not bow down to institution. So for me, with hip hop, with country, with parts of rock, when we all get together, when Bono, like right now in my house, I'm having a flashback, Bono is in my backyard, July 4th, and we chilling. And our conversation is like, yo man, when you did that Joshua tree, you know what I'm saying? And I'm looking at Bono, and I see what he's doing and how he's moving, and I'm like, I'm definitely gonna do more for Haiti. You know, mm. and now I, you know, you get more inspired. Then I see, you know, Kendrick on the award show 
and I, you know, the lyrics that he's saying and the movement and the images that they choose, you know what I'm saying to you? Or even like how the platform now is starting to even make more sense to certain people because we starting to understand that our platforms are supposed to be used for greater reasons. But what I want people to understand is the 20 year old Y Clef that was saying, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun. And the ghetto, of course, when Giddy up in their horse. The 50-year-old Wyclef today, if he was to have a conversation with that 20-year-old, that 20-year-old would not even, he'd be like, listen, old man, you don't understand what I'm going through and why I need this burner right now because the reality of the situation of how I'm living, right? But I would tell him, I said, man, there's too many of us dying. And there's a different way. We, we have to look at black on black crimes at times, right? We have to look at police brutality at times. And we have to say to ourselves, like, there have to be a better way. And in order for there to be a better way, I always tell everybody, a president term is four years. Who's your councilman? Right. Who's your governor? Who's your mayor? Right? And I could keep on going and going and going. So at the end of the day, I feel that the, spa the space that we have to get to as we move forward is the average American. Like if we live in America, like we are here. Like I'm an example of the American dream. You an example of the American dream. I don't know any other country we could have did what we doing right now. So at the end of the day, as we move forward, if you was to leave us with a word like for the whole nation, mm. like, because you know, we all are listening to you. Like I said, I'm a fan, I'm a vibe, I'm gonna keep watching. If you was to leave us with like some last words that we could just hold on to, um, where some of us, man, people's, you know, they looking at where the world is going and some people are uncertain and other people are certain. So what would you say? <laughs> Big question. Well, I'll give you two thoughts. One. I love you talking about addressing your younger self and holding the duality of mind that you know how strongly you felt then. And you are the person you became, but you also know that then you might not even be able to have that dialogue. And that's an interesting thought experiment because if, if you can get your head around that, you can understand if we can't even always be open enough to have dialogue with our own selves as we go through our entire life. How do we have dialogue with people who have different life experiences or in a totally different part of the world? That's a hard thing. Uh, what you said about looking back at your younger self or what you would think today with the life experience you had at, have at 50 and the problems, there's more than one type of problem. I think that's again why art is so influential and meaningful to people because you can have more than one idea. Politics often makes people artificially choose. Well, if you think this about healthcare, then you have to think this about taxes and you have to be on this team or that team. But most people don't come to it with a platform based on a party or partisanship. They say, well, I think this and I think that and I'm willing to change my mind. Tupac is upheld as one of the greatest revolutionary artists, right? And coming out of his mom in the Black Panther movement and, and her history. But he also talked about black and black crime like you just did. 
I mean, he said, they say it's the white man I should fear, but it's my own kind doing all the killing here. Now, if you took just that quote and threw it out in this year, some people would say, who said that? That sounds like what Trump would say. I'm against that. Then you might go, mm-hmm. actually, Pac said that. And you go, oh, wait a minute, mm-hmm. because he has so much credibility. And both things can be true. There could be a racist justice system that needs fixing. And there can also be mm-hmm. internal crime in the community that people want to fix. It's not my job to tell people what to do, so I'm not doing that. But I can report that Wyclef and Pac and someone else, Athena Shakur, said that as well as the rest. So that's just one thought off what you, vibing off what you were saying. I think big picture as we go forward, the, the trick in life as well as news, which is about how people make decisions and what happens in the world, is very simple when you get down to it. It's usually learning from experience and experience usually will include some mistakes. So how do we learn from our experiences and mistakes as we go on? And in politics, it's fascinating to me that even as we had certain mistakes in our history, America's original sin is uh, racism and slavery. We have a lot of problems with the distribution of power and wealth. But then you go into the next vote and I see us in the press, in the society, making some of the same mistakes as 2016, for example. People, especially the political class, the elites in the United States, were very arrogant about thinking they knew what was going to happen and saying Trump would not win the primary or that he wouldn't win the general election. And here's what the polls say, so that's a prediction. A, it was wrong, and B, it might have distorted how people participate. Because my job is not to tell you, here's the answer, here's what's going to happen in November. That makes you feel like, oh, I guess it's over. I'm not a part of this. But you are a part of this. Everyone has a part to play in a civic, healthy society, in a democracy, at least everyone should. And yet I hear now people looking at polls and saying, what's gonna happen again? And I'm like, are we not learning? (laughs) Did we not have this, this was like recent history, this ain't some ancient lesson, this is a couple years ago, we made that mistake. So I'm very careful in my, just to be specific, like in the way we do the news, I don't put a lot of time into predictions and polls. I try to make sure we share with the audience the news, the tools, the information, and, and you all run with it. There are other, uh, other mistakes I could come up with, but that's the biggest thing. And the virus has been such a leveler because even people in quote unquote rich countries who day to day don't have to feel necessarily the uncertainty that's just part of automatic daily life in more marginalized or poorer countries, because if you're in a place where less is afforded, provided, then the uncertainty of life is in your face every day because you just, that's the reality, which everyone knows from going, if you've learned about the world or traveled the world. Richer countries have a little less of that, but all of a sudden they don't, right? So it's also a mistake to assume that the situation today is now your baseline. That's the benefit and you want more. It's human nature sometimes. We have this, now I want more, I want better, I want bigger. Mm. And it's like, Actually, like we talked about earlier, a lot of people are just like, man, I wish I could have 2019 back. Even people with money, even people in relatively good positions, because nothing is certain. So I think that one thing you could take from art, from philosophy, and from, yes, news and information is we don't get to to know what's going to happen next. We can certainly learn from 
other people's experiences in our own recent history if we listen and keep an open mind. So that's a big picture thought. I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my best swing. Yeah, I mean, you hit it, man. Keep an open mind, you know? So I love you, brother. And I look forward, because we got to continue. So hopefully you'll be at, you'll come to the house. We'll make some to. Haitian food for you. Yes, sir. We got you, because I'm a fan. And then we we love to discuss more, but we we love you, and we're gonna put so much cool music around this. Like when you play it back, like you might be like, "Yo, I might want to turn this into an album." <laughs> <laughs> well, man, sending mad love to you. <laughs> thank you, and I can't wait to like it is with many things nowadays. I can't wait to also meet you in person, as you say, uh, and connect. There's so much more to, to talk about and build on. I'm glad we connected, Wyclef. Definitely, salute. Salute, man. Your boy Wyclef Jean, and let's get into it. I'm about to put y'all on to Dijon. According to, you know, the vibes and the the info that I have, I thought like Dijon was actually from LA. And that's no, Dijon's actually from Maryland. So it all makes sense to me why he would be chopping samples and not taking it serious at an early age. Remind me of somebody I knew that used to just chop up samples. His style describes a mixture of R&B folk and indie music. But what I love is um, he's doing music his way and he's bringing his energy. So respect to you, my brother. You definitely got the whole package. And um, I'm about to go download everything and everybody that's watching this. Let's get into my brother, Dijon. What's up? It is almost October. You know what that means? Yes, I have a birthday coming up. You have a birthday coming up, but after October is November. Oh, back from November? Yeah, you'll be back in November. Yeah, I'll be back in November. Remix! Just in time for the election. We had a conversation a couple weeks back, and I think the conversation was, do celebrities hurt or help? Yes. Um, politics. Yo, stop. You think you know. You think you know what I, I want to get into. I don't know. Stop I'm just, it. Okay, I don't know. I'm just just throwing stuff out there. That's all. Okay, okay. okay. Throwing shade from the <laughs> So. Bars. Speaking of people, some folks thinking that people need to be careful when they want to step into the arena of talking about 
politics. What I want to get into today is Cardi versus Candace. Okay, no problem. Okay, you know, and everybody knows how I feel about Cardi. You can not come for Cardi. Not in my world. But Candace came for Cardi. And I, I want to get into that. I want to get into the whole thing start to finish. Where it started, how it ended. So Candace does an interview. And in this interview, she speaks on Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and the fact that they both did a sit down with Cardi B. And in that interview, she accused Biden and Sanders of pandering. Now, I'm not gonna say she was wrong for accusing them of, of pandering. And by the way, I didn't even really understand what pandering was until I started digging into <laughs> this, which is kind of sad, but I didn't. So she accused them of pandering. I don't disagree with her. But in that interview, here's what she said about Cardi B. Why would they sit down with an illiterate rapper? So now this is where the whole thing just went completely left. The girl is not illiterate, first of all. She can read and she can write. The definition of illiterate is that you cannot read and you cannot write. She clearly can read, she clearly can write. So it was just mean. It was just absolutely a cruel thing to say about somebody. You could say, why would they sit down with someone who's a musician who doesn't really know much about politics? But she went for the jugular. She said, why would they sit down with an illiterate rapper? That right there, that put her into Cardi's arena. So then Cardi comes back on social media and goes completely off. Because her feelings are hurt, as anybody's feelings would be hurt if somebody's calling them illiterate, right? She goes off. And now Twitter goes crazy and Instagram goes crazy and everybody's talking about it. And then Candace, to my surprise, goes on IG Live for only the second time in her life, according to her. And she decides that she's now gonna address Cardi B and all of the things that Cardi said on Twitter. Um, and at some point, Candace comes back to her intelligent self and she starts speaking to the fact that Cardi B should simply get herself more educated before she steps into y'all's arena. The thing is, she thinks that she's educating herself. She not just, people can say she's speaking randomly, but if you look back, if you look all the way back and just like, and something you have pointed out to me before, Candace, was a fan of Cardi B's when Cardi was on Love & Hip Hop, which is very surprising to me, to be honest with you. Um, but so was I. I was a fan of hers when she was on Love & Hip Hop. And when I look all the way back to everything I've ever seen her do, she's never been quiet about the things that are happening in the world. She's never been quiet about injustice. She's never been quiet about politics. And so maybe she doesn't have the level of understanding that Candace has or other people have. She she only knows what she knows. And like most people just simply doesn't know what she doesn't know. But what I believe is really and truly important is that she's speaking from the heart. So people like Candace, before you go public and say, she's an illiterate rapper, why would anybody, why would they sit down with her? Why don't you reach out? 
Why don't you, and if you can't get her on the phone, why don't you send some messages? Why don't you send information? Why don't you do, give your every effort, and I have to put this out there as a black woman, because the bottom line is what we're looking at is two black women going for each other's throat for all the world to see. Why don't you make an effort, Candace, to help educate her before you go in front of the world and call her an illiterate rapper? Now, I'm going to give you my opinion from 30,000 feet. Okay, okay. And now I'm gonna zoom in down. Okay. Um, there's an election coming up. Yes. And the idea of an election is you literally have to figure out who you're gonna vote for, right? That's right. And when we were younger, uh, I remember they used to have a program called Rock the Vote. Mm -hmm. And with Rock the Vote, they used to use celebrities to tell people how to vote. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I used to say is like, it's so crazy. Like if I go to Marlboro Projects mm -hmm. in Coney Island, where I came from, when I left Haiti, or I go to East Orange around Walnut area, mm -hmm. and where I grew up, right by the Booger Basement, Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, if I'm to ask half of the people that are living in there, yeah. my folks, what's a Democrat? Yeah. And I'm being real kind right now. What's a Republican? Man, they don't have a fucking clue. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of this? Well, listen, I don't even really understand okay. the difference anymore okay. between this Republican and Democrat. This is but very important. The reason why I'm saying that is you've just proven my next point. Mm -hmm. And my next point is that the first part about everything mm -hmm. is the idea of informing yes. and teaching. Yes. So before you told me before you say, okay, we're gonna rock, let's do rock the vote and encourage people to vote, right? I, I was in, I'm informed based on the information that I'm preview to. So yeah. somebody's able to have this conversation with me, right? Yeah. So if it's a congressman, if it's a mayor, if it's a councilman, if it's a senator, if it's so think about it as a whole, right? Have we done our jobs in the rural communities mm -hmm. to educate? the mass or just to educate the people that you want to come out on to vote. Right. Because if you don't I educate, agree. right, because if you don't educate, then you don't know. What you don't know is every action brings a reaction. Yeah. So let's go by what created this whole thing, because if I'm going to solve the problem, okay. I have to go by the root of the problem. Yeah, and that's where we started. Okay, we so started at the root, Joe Biden yes, was, the, according to Candace, pandering. So in all fairness, I watched the debate with Kamala Harris, right? And remember the idea of busing came up, right? Mm -hmm. And so with politics, right? It's okay to change your views, right? Because yeah. you might start off feeling like I'm going to be a certain way. And then you start to adjust and be like, okay, like there's nothing wrong with changing your views. So the thing that I want to make sure that everybody understands that's watching this, right? You are entitled to your own opinion. Yes. Guess what you don't have an opinion to when it comes to me? 
What's that? White supremacists, hate, preaching hate. Yeah. The idea of racism. Yeah. There's no, like me and you, we can't have a conversation, right? Yeah. But the idea of if somebody is saying, you know, I used to support um, Obama, but I don't support Obama no more. Mm -hmm. I'm supporting Trump. And somebody's like, I ain't supporting Trump no more. I'm going to support Biden. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're getting crucified, right? But yeah. politicians who are on the 30,000 feet level high yeah. adjust their speech and their policies all of the time, yes. right? So we, the citizens, you cannot be distracted. And so for me, the internet, the that whole energy is a big distraction mm -hmm. on the fact of what you need to focus on. And this is what you need to focus on. Uh -huh. If you want your vote to matter, you cannot, that same energy that you using yeah. for this Cardi B and Candace Owens, yeah. that same energy, that same thing that you like, ah, I don't agree. That energy is the energy that you need to take to the polls. This is why Joe Biden sat down with Cardi B, or I would like to think this is why he sat down with Cardi B. She, regardless of her political knowledge, do, if Cardi B has 20 million followers, let's say she has 20, because I don't know how many she has now. I think but, over like 65 million. Okay, but let, let's just use 20 Maybe. for a nice round number, okay. right? Guaranteed, guaranteed, at least 10 million of those people didn't, actually, like probably 19 million of those people didn't know who Candace was when this all started. Right? So now you've got that 19 million people not only now paying attention to what Candace Owens is saying, but paying attention to the whole thing. So I believe that many of the people that follow her, many of the people that listen to what she has to say, many of the people who would have no opinion about anything in politics whatsoever are at least now paying attention. And that is important. So I don't think it ends up just being the hype of those folks debating, because guess what? I also, before they were debating, I had never watched Candace's show. Now I've watched almost every episode of her show. Now I actually believe there's a ton of merit to many of the things that she says. I don't agree with a lot of the things that she says. Nothing, I mean, don't agree with the mean spirit. Yeah, not, nothing is she wrong. Says nothing is wrong. How she delivers something. Nothing is wrong to agree, to disagree. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, right? Honestly, when you look at the idea of how our constitution is within these United States of America, right? Yeah. There's parts of it that you may agree with, yeah. and then there's part of it another side don't agree with. Yeah. So at the end of the day, that's open for debate. But to your point, so what I would like to, 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 to close this as is because the high level conversation for me is to your point, what this did, what did this, um, it bought a new form of awareness, right? Yeah. So the awareness that it has bought has um, people searching more for information. Yeah. And it should bring curiosity a little more as we roll into this election yeah. for you to basically understand um, who the parties are, 
what are the policies and what are you voting for, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, you have to fully just do that research. So if you care about health care, right? Mm -hmm. And you always hear this conversation about taxes, yeah. right? Yeah. Really understand which party is for raising taxes and lowering taxes. Now, at the end of the day, you might be like, hold up, Clef. Hold up, man. Like, have you been on the right all this time and we <laughs> haven't known? No. I'm I'm in the center. Like, I'm always going to go with, like, you have to basically, and what I mean by I'm in the center, I'm going to look, I'm going to study, and you have to really look what's good for you. Yeah. But if somebody is saying that they're voting for this person or for that person, right, and you're like, okay, well, we're going to be arch enemies from now on, moving forward, your whole concern with the election has to be which policies work for you, for your family, yeah. for your neighborhood, what's going to constitute. Yeah. And the last thing I'm going to say about this topic, remember, a president term is four years. If anybody studies politics, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it's a cycle of taking it for, for four years and sometimes you see the eight-year pattern happens. So I say this in saying, right, as we move forward, yeah. And with this excitement that this 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 Twitter galvanizing thing, which happened on both sides, and now you have a, a high level of curiosity. If this energy mm -hmm. was to go to the polls, I agree. I agree. Right, and I'm I I'm agree. gonna say that. So if this is the kind of energy you want, so you're like, oh, let me go do a little research. Yeah. And now if this energy goes to the polls, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, I feel like it's on a it's, it's definitely on a high level. And at the end of the day, politicians is going to be politicians. Yeah. And the people don't no longer believe in the idea of politicians, right? So you might have a view of something yesterday, and then today you have a different view. It's called growing up. It's called I'm figuring things out. Anyone could always have a conversation with me because the conversation for me has to always be based on what the core and the root of the situation is. So this is how I want to end this, this segment off. You know, I want to go back that original interview where this whole thing started, where Candace, you know, was accusing Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden of pandering. If she had just done that, if she had just spoken to the fact that they could have chosen many other people to sit down for a conversation with and given her reasoning why. She could have even just said that Cardi is not as educated on politics as some of the other people they could have chosen who have a tremendous amount of followers in our community. But what she said was she's an illiterate rapper. So my, my real point to all of this is, instead of doing that, instead of taking shots, instead of being mean, instead of being cruel, what we have to do when there is someone like Cardi who has very obviously for several years been trying to educate herself on politics, what someone like Candace should do, not just Candace, it's not her sole responsibility, or maybe it's not her responsibility at all. But what we should do is bother 
to try and educate not only Cardi, but all of the people who have the opportunity to speak to the masses and not educate them on one side. And because what you said is you need to know what's happening on both sides. You need to understand what's happening on both sides. But instead of coming for each other, instead of going on Instagram Live and bragging that I, I dragged somebody, should be educating them. Okay, well, once again, being that this is my podcast, <laughs> so I'm going to get the last words. And as we transition into your podcast, you can get the last word. My last words yes. are real simple. Yeah. There's two people that's running for president. We yes. have a current president named Donald Trump and the other one was the vice president to President Obama. Yes. His name is Joe Biden. When you are bringing people for debate, you have to make sure that there is so much more of us that are beyond, beyond, beyond capable that want to participate within the conversation. Yeah. And that have other questions for you. Yeah. So please make sure that you contacted us. It's like we doing this show right here. You know what I mean? Like no politician want to come on because everyone want to save their ass in an election. Look, we got a show. Candace got a show. Everyone has, you know, everyone that wants to speak and have a platform, have a show to talk about. But the, 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 the people themselves as people have lost faith in yeah. institution. Yeah. And that's really the bottom line to it. And guess what? At the end of the day, as you move forward, if I could give anybody any kind of advice, look, man, you have to be able to stand and face the nation now as you like with nobody around you like because what we're facing as a nation now is going to take two the vice president and the president to go at it back and forth yeah and um and then y'all get to choose so i think everybody will be watching and uh and i've heard the slogan but the, this is people are saying this is the most important election yeah. of the time and 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 i gotta tell you maddie you're you're, you're incredible um, in two fronts, because you know, it's like, I know like with pop culture and how, how all these kids look up to you, including mm -hmm. myself, cause I'm only 22, um, <laughs> we look up to you. But but thank you so much because um, uh, this was important and we look forward to more. Thank you. Thank you for having me as always. Ari, this one's for you. The world done going crazy, man. We gonna find our way back, though. Trust me. Let's go. Politics, they say it's a blood spot. Spot. They want to know how we gonna pack the cards. My uncle catch the virus and he pass away. Trump catch the virus, he superman. Biden wear the mask like eight day facts. We gotta get the White House back. Hey. I'ma do this one for my homies gone. 
Judge it the hammer, they're not coming home. We all are from the danger zone. Devil pulled the card and he said, choose one. I chose music, my homies chose, yeah. Some of my ballers chose the NBA. Cause it was on the black man, they gang bang. Funeral parlors making all the change, yeah. When my cousin got his first tech. I was playing Jimi Hendrix in the basement. All I wanted to be was a rap star. All he wanted to be was a Escobar. El Chapo, El Chapo. All he wanted to be was Escobar. El Chapo, El Chapo. Gone to November, he ain't coming back. I was talking about my homies, man, that's so crap. Caught in the trap, hit from the back, they hit the steel. Like the owl boy that's hitting on a dollar bill. Welcome to the rotten apple, the city of lights. No matter how they shine, they can't steal the nights. Cause when the ghosts knock, knock, just before your guests, rid out at your chest, the eagle raise the cuckoo's nest. Better be with them artillery pack, they be jumping like Jack when they jump out the box. Rat the sound in the gap, they be flying through the air like vampire bat, straight from the back. When they attack in the middle of night, when you up in the trap, you keep on bucking, they bucking you back in the middle of bucket. Somebody get flat, flat, flat. I've been through this world for my homie gone. Church hit the hammer, they're not coming home. We all are from the danger zone. Devil pulled the card and he said, choose one. I chose music, my homies chose, yeah. Some of my ballers chose the NBA. Cause who's on a block, man, that gang, man. Funeral parlors making all the change. When my cousin got his first tech, I was playing Jimi Hendrix in the basement. All I wanted to be was a rap star. All he wanted to be was a Escobar. El Chapo, El Chapo. All he wanted to be was a Escobar. El Chapo, El Chapo. Okay, before I leave, y'all know I'm going to do a big toast to Ari Melber. 
This is very important. We three weeks going into your vote. And it's amazing, like, the amount of people that's turning up and actually voting. Let's keep this going. And I toast you, my brother, taking rap lyrics and showing people that actually we also do policy music. So as we move forward, you know, we, we hope that the House pays close attention to the needs of, you know, us um, as in we the people. So, all right, we're going to sign off. I saw SNL. I'm going to give you all the Kamala side eyes real quick.